Welcome back, listener. This is episode 10 of the new Get It Out podcast featuring Jesse and Mike having timely political conversations at the interface of science, media, and society. Today we're going to cover news topics like the Suez Canal blockage, Matt Gates. Um, we'll get into a conversation about the Koch brothers and uh, talk about Tucker Carlson um, having a conversation with Jesse Kelly, host of the Jesse Kelly Show. We'll talk about uh, willful stupidity and why the two-party system is failing us. Well, I hope you enjoy. My own streaming missions are to get cold beans live for like eight hours a day, five or six days a week, or even every day. But not all day every day because that wouldn't be fair for players. Um, and I'm working on like a Twitch Plays arcade platform that I want to roll out by the end of the summer. But nice. so there's the there's the like live recording of podcasts. There's live recording of video games I want to capture for my stay here series, mostly Final Fantasy and Mario games. Probably do that like once a week. And then um just like the set it and forget it cold beans and arcade stuff. That's where my head's at. Yeah, when it's when it's fun things to do it's nice to like stay busy <laughs> yeah and it always it always like turns into something else yeah like freaking maynard like dude has three bands owns a restaurant owns a uh, owns a winery is deeply involved in the winery and growing like he's in uh i'm sorry not a winery a vineyard he owns a whole damn vineyard, yeah. and he's very deeply involved in it. Like, mm-hmm. when you nurture that part of yourself, it can grow. Like, I don't understand how he works so hard. I'll never work that hard in my life. I just can't. But help. isn't he sober? Uh, he is now. I think he drinks. He cheats and drinks wine sometimes. But he like is on a ketogenic thing. I don't think he does any carbs. Like any uh. Mm bread kind of carbs i mean like gluten whatever yeah 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 uh but he had his time i mean uh anima that the album anima was them reconciling their hallucinogenic trips <laughs> right and how and and acknowledging them and uh building into the structure of the song how their experiences change how they play music. Uh-huh. Like like Third Eye, like the song Third Eye compositionally is nuts. It's right. yeah. Nutty song. Um Yeah, Danny Carey said he, he 
never play drums the same way again after two years. Hmm. The Lips do a nice Tool reference in their last album, American Head. Nice. They uh, channel some like bass lines you'd hear in a Tool song. Sick. <laughs> I found a Tool ripoff band out of Canada called Lucid Planet. (laughs) They get the job done enough. The art, the cover art is sick. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Pretty good name, Lucid Planet. Yeah, and it has the same, like, uh, Egyptian-style vocals that I really love. Uh, Complex, progressive composition. Not Not nearly as technical as Tool is. Not even close, but... Um, enough that it sounds this sound it does sound really good, but uh, yeah, not enough people sing the way Maynard does. It, I, and I guess it is like an Egyptian style singing, from what I've heard. Like uh, some people on YouTube listening to his vocal, like professional vocalists, is what they say. Yeah, Tool's very unique. There's a lot of bands that you could you think like try to sound like Tool or whatever, but nobody's like Tool except Tool. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare that they can sit so long. Like you, you never see that with rock bands. Like fifteen years later they produce an album and it sounds like consistent with like the rest of their music. It doesn't sound like it does, you know. It doesn't sound like Leonard Skinner trying to bust out, yeah. You know, dust off the guitar or whatever. Like it fucking sound. It still sounds like Tool. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is actually one of the things I don't like about bands. Which is probably why I like the Flaming Lips so much, because their sound has evolved so dramatically over time and a lot of the members in the band have rotated out over the years too yeah well there's but, still uh, evolution between the albums it's just like uh oh the tra- fuck yeah the, the hall yeah the hallmarks like that 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 tendency in music to have like a trademark sound yeah i think um there's not a lot of bands willing to go against that Smash seems pretty dead. The community? Since, like, the fallout from all the weirdos? Yeah, I guess that did have some play on it. The Nairo situation is more complex than than uh, people originally thought. Like, Do you he, think, like, the COVID stuff's killing it? Well, that's playing a part, too. Oh, sorry. I'll, well, You're for, saying Nairo? Well, specifically for Nairo, like, I don't know how much you know, but I'm not going to get into that story. It's gross. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's all a nightmare. It's all, it's all gross. That, I'm sure that played a huge part. part. And then also the fact that, uh, wait, online, is... Ultimate Online's awful. Nairo was the one who was accusing some chick? No. So, do you know who Captain's, is Captain, you know who Captain Zack is? Nah. He's a Bayonetta player. 
who got a lot of heat and a lot of hate because him and another Bayonetta player were in grand finals of Evo and they mm-hmm. took they took it all as a joke, all like a meme. Their grand final set was one big meme. There was one time mm-hmm. where they they were just like charging her stupid guns and not moving for like until like an Evo rep came as like you guys have to play the video game. Was this like twenty nineteen or uh, I want to say that was twenty seventeen maybe. Okay. But um, so yeah, he's like this huge drama lord, and uh, he accused Nairo of abusing him. Oh yeah, but and, and Nairo was originally which was originally like, uh, I'm leaving the community. Sorry, I you know if have disappointed all of you, blah, 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 blah. But, like, after time has mm. passed, he was basically was like, he's lying in this. So it's mm. now a he, uh, yeah, he said, he said thing. And he was basically saying, like, he just w- was too intimidated by the public discourse to say the truth at the time. So he just dipped out of the community, which... I got Nairo confused with Zero. See, Zero also got yeeted out. And, yeah, that was for, like... Yeah, Und- being gross with like underage girls. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, we're talking the number one and number two players right here, basically. <laughs> right. So that played a huge factor, and then also ultimates online sucks. Huge lag. I don't know what to. I don't know what to say for melee though. I think people are just starting to actually now starting just to get sick of melee. They just doesn't get the same numbers it used to. Which is, I, in, I, I think they, it's, yeah. Well, their online is, they have a sick online now. Someone actually went through the effort to do uh, netcode. I don't know. Just oh, yeah, net, I thought they got cease and desisted. That was for doing it, turn, that was for doing like, okay, you're right. Yeah. So that's probably why for tournaments that played a huge part. Yeah. they Big, big tournaments basically aren't allowed on it. Okay, I for, I kind of forgot. So that's why the Smash community is dead because Nintendo sucks and people yeah. are creeps. Yep, basically <laughs> that wraps it up. <laughs> that's the nutshell. <laughs> that sucks because it's such a good game. Yeah, I tell you, over the years I've grown to grow fond of Mewtwo King. Sometimes I see yeah. him on Twitch and I just watch him and well, yeah, I watch him for a little bit. <laughs> there's there's an innocence to him that you just can't deny. <laughs> this Suez Canal is that where that giant freight ship got stuck, or is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, and it caused like global economic collapse for like a little bit yeah stoked the internet they were pretty stoked yeah yeah it was pretty fun memes but i didn't really i honestly didn't read too much up about the story because it's like well what are you gonna do ship is stuck get it unstuck yep well (laughs) i mean those those pictures of a tiny little bulldozer next to the thing (laughs) pretty good what really settled it in for me, like I saw all kinds of 
like them putting up next to like the Empire State Building or whatever. But like when they set it up next to the Enterprise, that's when I was like, damn, that's a big boat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's where I was really like, oh, wow. I didn't see that. How's it stack up? Is it like similar in it's, size? Yeah, like uh, the Enterprise A, which is the original one from the original Star Trek, is like 305 meters. Mm. And then the Suez Canal is like 480 meters or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. This Matt Gates thing, it's been going on since near the end of the Trump administration, right? But it only just yeah. became public information. Is that the deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a mess. I don't know. Did you watch the Tucker Carlson interview with Matt Gates? Yeah. No. It's one. Yeah, I I didn't put the clip in here, but it's one of the best interviews I've ever seen. It's yeah, him just trying to like come up with some stupid cover story. He tries to drag Tucker into it twice, <laughs> and Tucker like tries to shut it down both times. And like at the end of the interview, Tucker's like, well, that was a really strange interview. Definitely one of the strangest I've ever done and before. Certainly didn't shine any new information, but we'll stay up on it. <laughs> and like it really it really pissed Tucker off. Hmm. Cause like I guess back in like 2001, Tucker was also accused of uh sexual assault or something. And Matt Gates was like, and I'm not the only one on screen right now who knows what it's like to be accused of something that they didn't do. Back in 2001, like, he got super specific about it. <laughs> like, you, Tucker. <laughs> no way. He he went on oh. Fox News to talk to Tucker and just called him out? Yeah. Holy um, shit. I mean, if we want to play the clip on here, I could probably get it quick, but it... it I, I I watched it probably I don't know six seven times, dying laughing each time. <laughs> it sounds impossible it's, that that happened. Yeah, and then of course now uh, the Hill did an article about how like the Republicans are like distancing themselves from him because he's just burning himself into the ground, and I don't know. Uh, you know how much power Rush Limbaugh used to have over the Republican Party, like the actual politicians of the Republican Party, right? I could speculate, sure. Yeah, there would be several times where they would try to like insult Rush, and they would have to like publicly apologize to Rush for doing it because they knew that they would ruin their political career if they didn't do that. And th and I feel like that's very much where Tucker Carlson is at right now. So like huh. the fact that Matt was trying to get him muddy with him yeah. it probably just does not ring well with the establishment GOP that, that that's like their main mouthpiece <laughs> this picture though <laughs> Tucker looks like he's fresh out of Sesame Street and Matt Gates looks kind of kind of like dead I don't know he looks he looks like somebody said it's like a joke character in Oblivion. Like somebody put the eyebrow setting all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and they like did the beadiest eyes they could find. No, and I never like, even yeah. knew who Matt Gates was until like CPAC or something. But seeing yeah. seeing a, a collection of Google images of this guy, it looks like he got massive plastic surgery. Yeah, I don't know. He's one of the post-era Trump politicians. He he came as a 
result of Trump era style politics, you know, and you can tell by like how he talks and how he platforms like and his hair. I can't stand his hair, but I guess now that you mention it, he does have like Trump kid hair. Yeah, he's just a more stupid version of Trump. A more stupid and not as connected version. Just a couple of hours ago, late this afternoon, the New York Times ran a story saying that Florida. Okay, I just gotta pipe this so you can hear it. Congressman Matt Gates is under federal investigation. Is the real motivation for all of this? You know, just tonight, Ted Lieu, a Democrat, is calling on me to be removed from the House Judiciary Committee. And I believe we are in an era of our politics now, Tucker, where people are smeared to try to take them out of the conversation. I'm not the only person on screen right now who's been falsely wow. accused of a terrible sex act. On screen you right now. were accused of something that you did <gasps> not do. And so you know what this feels like. You know the pain it can bring to your family. And you know how it, it just puts people on defense when you're accused of something so salacious and awful. Tucker's but like it did frozen. Not happen. It is not true. And the fact that it is the basis of this attempt to extort my family tells a lot. And if the FBI and Department of Justice will release the tapes that they are in possession of, the American people will see what is really going on. You just referred to a mentally ill viewer who accused me of a sex crime 20 years ago. Um, and it, of course, it was, it was not true. I never met the person. Um, but but I, I do agree with you that being accused falsely is one of the worst things that can happen. And you do see it a lot. Let's go back to the investigation. You you say that it was uh, that it was or is underway. There was an investigation. What is the basis? Dude, yeah, of that and then he, if you listen, he doubles down immediately really right after this. Listen, news stories. <laughs> yeah, again, I only know what I've read in the New York Times. Uh, I can say that actually, you and I went to dinner uh, about two years ago. Your wife was there, and I brought a friend of mine. You'll remember her, and You'll she was actually. Her threatened by the FBI, told that if she wouldn't cop to the fact that somehow I was involved in some pay-for-play scheme, uh, that she could face trouble. And so I do believe that there are people at the Department of Justice How did he get who are trying on to here smear to, me, like, uh, trap you know, Tucker providing like this. for flights uh, and Just hotels like buried his claws that you're dating him. who are of legal I know, age it's, is not a crime. It's absurd. Well, uh, they assumed that they would be able to get, like, the, lack of the exclusive, sort of and they'd be able to form the narrative. Investigation into me but he's so stupid. <laughs> he couldn't just keep it simple. Wow, that was <laughs> fucked. Man. I, wow. Y yeah. So, uh -huh. like, no respect. No respect. Nope. And then, of of course, uh, I don't know if you heard what made the rounds after. He was the only person to vote no on a 2017 human trafficking bill. He like he was literally the only person to vote no on it. And I don't know. It's just like, oh, really? He has if you go through like his Twitter feed, he probably has deleted a lot of these photos by now. Just like a disproportionately large amount of photos of him at high schools with like high school kids. <laughs> like. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Oh, and it was one of the most recent um, breaking news points that came of the actual investigation is like apparently there's surveillance video of him with uh, Joel Greenberg, who is the guy he basically was picking the lot from, you know, as far as girls go. Mm. Um, there's there's surveillance video footage of like the two of them in a car like shuffling through fake IDs. Come to, like, on, give give yeah I know it's so bad it's so bad. 
Wow. So he's done. Yeah, he's done. And of course, he's just a, like a one-time congressman. He has no actual uh, stock or inventory within the GOP. So they're going to toss him aside like nothing. Because sure. that's what the, the smart thing to do. And it's interesting to, well, like it makes, you, there's tangible crimes being invested by the FBI. I was going to say, it's interesting how, like, they're ready to toss him aside, but they're still defending Marjorie Taylor Greene. But she's just, a, she's just a lunatic. She hasn't really done anything illegal yet, as far as we know. Yeah, and she gets a lot of attention, and everybody likes attention, right? Yeah, that's true. Now, the Koch brothers have nothing to do with Coca-Cola, right? No, they're like, it's the German spelling. Can't help myself. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't stop journalists from nonstop doing puns about them. (laughs) Like, I saw one that was like, new Coke, about, and it was an article about (laughs) how they're trying to, like, uh, reallocate how they fund people, so, like, they're paper trails not as obvious but uh that's a different this this is a really good story so this is uh called inside the coke backed effort to block the largest election uh, election reform bill in half a century so it's in reference to hr1 which um congress is trying to pass through again yeah and it's true it's like one of the most sweeping election reform bills since the civil rights act and this article really lays out just the behind-the-scenes intentions of politicians and the people who pay them. So I kind of want to—I kind of want to go through it. Uh, the article talks about how, like, in the public sphere, they're talking about how this uh, electoral reform bill called "For the People Act" um, is like an unpopular partisan ploy. Like, they're trying to frame it as, like, something that's dividing the country. Like, Ted Cruz giving out the quote saying, a brazen and shameless power grab by Democrats. Mm. You know, just the same kind of hyperbolic rhetoric we would expect for them. But they're right. Um, Because if more people vote, then Democrats win more. Oh, yeah. They they, they know that they're a minority. This is all them just trying to maintain relevancy. I mean, he's right. Uh, Okay. I don't think he's right. I think the Democrats... Keep keep sort of having these opportunities fall into their lap where they get to benefit from stuff that is, like, objectively good. It seems like it happens a lot. And then the Republicans have to, like, somehow turn it on its head to make themselves look like the victims. Like... Yeah. That's what's actually... That's what's actually happening. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 brazen and shameless to accuse... Democrats of being brazen and shameless in this situation and the power grabs that are happening are happening in Georgia in Texas <laughs> yeah I want to get to Georgia later because I want to talk about how the MLB moved the all-star game out of Atlanta but oh that's um, why yeah wow. Th- this article this article actually like gets into like the hypocrisy this is why I really like it so much so the, the New Yorker uh, got a recording obtained it was a private conference call on january 8th it was between a policy advisor to mitch mcconnell so like one of his top aides and then 
uh, leaders of several prominent conservative think tank groups, including one run by the Koch Brothers Network, um, one of the most prominent names of the dark money donor kind of atmosphere mm-hmm. that's pr- prominent in the GOP. Uh, they're billionaire oil magnets. If you didn't really know how they got their money. Like inherit inheritors? Yeah, yeah. I I think, yeah, their father was the ones that got the company started. Um, but yeah, so the people in this meeting conceded that the bill, which would uh, stem the flow of dark money from such political donors as, again, billionaire oil magnate Charles Koch, mm-hmm. uh, was so popular that it wasn't worthy trying to mount a public advocacy campaign to shift opinion. Instead, a senior Koch operative said that the opponents would be better off ignoring the will of the American voters and trying to kill the bill in Congress. Huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could you this, imagine this spending is- the majority of your time trying to sh- wage campaigns that shift public opinion? You, like, oh, that's the, yeah, that's the Koch person? brothers' entire existence. The Koch brothers are why Ben Shapiro, who has a 5 million YouTube subscriber view, is worth like $20 million. And the left competitor to the the Young Turks, mm. the the guy who owns that, is worth like five million dollars, right? Like, th- that's why there's a difference there. Um, and then you know you can so like David Rubin, who has not even he has like a fifth of that following, has has like a mansion and is worth way more than that because he gets money from Prager, who is also a billionaire, and. He he get, doesn't even come close to the viewership that the Young Turks does, and that's where he used to work before he like decided to become the turncoat liberal, which is like what Republicans will pay you so much money for to like be that kind of headpiece. So that's the kind of like to say yeah, that you've is, decided to become a Republican. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Th- that's Dave Rubin's entire existence. So like the yeah, the this whole reality of like billionaires behind the door saying these kinds of things. This this has been around since like Reagan and it cycles, you know. Hey, maybe if we uh get a little bit of a audience, we can go Republican and make a quick buck. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I there's been times where like man I wish I believed these stupid things so I could actually make <laughs> some money like <laughs> talking about them. Okay, uh, so where are we at with this article? So yeah, when per, uh, the guy who works at the Coke Run advocacy group stand together, his name's Kyle McKenzie on the call. Uh, he's like when presented with a very neutral description of the bill, uh, people were very supportive. The most worrisome part is that conservatives were actually as supportive as the general public was when they were read the neutral description. Right. Which, when you do poll, when you do polling, the phrasing is very. You do, you do different phrasing to find out how the results yield differently. Um. In fact, he warned, "There's a very, very large chunk of conservatives who are supportive of these efforts." As a result, McKenzie conceded the legislation opponents would likely have to rely on Republicans in the Senate, where the bill is now under debate, to use under-the-dome-type strategies, quote-unquote, meaning legislative maneuvers beneath Congress's roof, such as the filibuster, uh, to stop the bill because turning public opinion against it would be incredibly difficult. Um, So, kind of just dives into how... They're telling their puppets to engage in the same kind of effectiveness that they've been engaging in since, like, uh, Obama and even before him, Karl Rove. I would say Karl Rove is when it really started happening. 
stick with what works, right? Yeah. Mackenzie explained the Coke founded group had invested substantial resources to see if we could find any message that would activate and persuade conservatives on the issue. He related that an AOC message was tested, one claiming that the bill might help Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez achieve her goal of holding the people in the Trump administration accountable by identifying big donors. Can you imagine spending and, and, hundreds of thousands that, of dollars to test things to say about AOC? I know. And then, and then you'll get like a plus three or a plus four yield back on polling, and you'll be like, yes, it was worth it. <laughs> Time to bitch about AOC again, guys. Send out the message. Light the flares. <laughs> it's so absurd. Gretchen Reitner, the senior vice president uh, of communications for Stand Together, declined to respond to questions about the conference call. In an email statement, she said, defending civil liberties requires more than a sound bite. Oh, I said that wrong. More than a sound bite. <laughs> I thought she was like, descri- I thought yeah, she was yeah. describing like, like a, a, a good bite. quality bite. she said a third of it restricts first amendment rights in the email which is bullshit there's no way it does that uh that's all right that's probably the bulk of the article talks about citizens united again from 2010 which of course opened the floodgates for donorship Yeah, I, this actually describes a big part of it. So one of the hard things about tracking money with these people is how it flows through. So money is often donated through nonprofit, nonprofit corporations uh, described as like social welfare organizations. Right. And then and then they get the money through that. So like you don't know it's coming from Charles Koch. But it is. Makes you feel better. Which is, yeah. Well, I mean, that, and then that you can't also can't be accused of taking Coke money by doing that. So that's how they were. That's that's why it's called dark money because that's how. It, and it's been it's like really specifically a conservative practice. You didn't really see this operating on the left as much. I'm sure it does happen. But um, do the Coke brothers' interests extend beyond protecting like their their company, their their oil companies, or? Where no, their investments they're, are, they're the right-wing libertarian mindset fulfilled. That they're everything that you would expect from that kind of philosophy manifested. You know, if I if I probably looked into him, he probably is with Ayn Rand. Let me look. Yeah, Ayn Rand, Cato Institute, Institute for Humane Studies. Yeah, he's straight. Yeah, he's just as embedded with all these fake populists that like. The rhetoric, they'll hire people that have the rhetoric of populism, of like, fuck the government, you know, but it's being fueled by billionaires, so it's not really populism. So, I guess my, the point of my, the reason I'm asking is like, do these guys see, um, I don't know, do they, do they connect their profits margins to their investments in propaganda and they believe that they see a return on their investment into propaganda? 
financially, not just like trying to sway people's opinions about things? Yeah, the, the entire existence of the conservative and Republican GOP today in politics is the is the ROI on that. They they would not be around with the relevance that they are today if it wasn't for the success of these kinds of tactics that have been around since like the char- the Rush Limbaugh days of news. Now, if their primary motivation is to protect their investments, maybe I'm being naive here, but why don't they like over time change their investment? portfolio so that they don't have to be big dicks well i mean it's not just about the wealth it's about the power too they're like they actually want to have power over people yeah but like for no fucking reason you know yeah for no reason no for no reason once once you're a billionaire it's just a numbers game you you won you won the you won the wealth game you have more wealth than you ever need for the rest of your life. It's just a numbers game at that point. And you want to have, you want the ticker to be at a higher number than the other, than the peers around you. It's literally like that narcissistically fueled. Oh, That's yeah. It. It's like how Cardi B's on top right now, Queen B, and she's doing a song called Up where she just keeps going higher because there's no one on top of her. And then fucking right. Ellie Golden's putting out songs bitching about how everyone sings about love, but no one actually cares about love. All they want is power. And Cardi B's like, don't <laughs> fuck with me or your career will be elusive. Nice. <laughs> Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if you don't have the power, you're going to cry about it. <laughs> and I'm sure there's like a lot of racism with like these types of people too, like billionaire oil magnate Coke brothers coming from generational Southern wealth. Come on. The dude's a fucking racist. Right. Like he so just there, there's he, a, there's a big part of this where he's trying to preserve the world around him in his image. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an extension of the American exceptionalism, the God given right for the white Englands to, you know, be the holders of the country and whatever portions of the world they see fit it's just that it's the continuation of that (laughs) the data shows though that um they're not actually good stewards of the planet or of the next generation of humans so yeah they actually did really bad at it and in like a in like a really short amount of time too like as far as empires go it's a pretty bad empire (laughs) <laughs> like i don't know how long did the Ro- the roman empire last like a thousand years no i don't think it was a thousand years hundred thousand million it could have it could have been a thousand years i don't know how long was roman empire never fell bro oh wow yeah like 1400 years Still going strong. Yeah. Augustus Caesar, first emperor, 31 BC, at the fall of Constantinople, 1453. So that's, that's more like 1500 years. That's crazy. Yeah. White Anglins did like what, 200? Psh. Psh. Get your shit together. <laughs> kind of empire you think this is 
they just did their tribalism wrong because like Romans didn't if if Romans saw how we divided people by like skin color today, they would see us as like barbaric. They would not they would not be able to comprehend that. <laughs> it's just that all all they did was like if you're a Roman, you're a Roman. And they just kept it simple. Yeah. Their only problem was if you weren't a Roman, you were a barbarian. <laughs> Which was, Which was the rest fair of the world. Enough. Yeah, but at least the arbitrary has like I don't know. Still arbitrary, but it makes more sense to me, at least. Um let's see, what else should we talk about? Oh, so yeah, this happened over a week ago, but we didn't talk about it on the last episode because I just didn't I forgot it like escaped me. But uh Tucker Carlson had a guy on who is like openly embracing fascism and Tucker was agreeing with him about it and it's like a really stark turn uh towards their rhetoric moving from ex- accepting the existence of fascist movements in the country which they wouldn't do for a long time to saying that fascism was a left-wing thing, not a right-wing thing. And now it's, uh, hey, how can they blame us for wanting to be fascists? That's where we're at now. So um, if you want to click the Daily Beast article, there is a clip. It's like four minutes. I think it might be worth just listening to the whole thing. Weird how that works. Jesse Kelly, the host of the Jesse Kelly Show, he joins us tonight. Jesse, thanks so much. Jesse for coming Kelly, out. host how of the you, Jesse Kelly how, Show. How do you think it would work if you yep. lied on a federal gun form? Ooh, I think me. I wouldn't be on your show right now unless they were allowing me to do it from Fort Leavenworth somewhere. I, I, we both know exactly. how this works, Tucker. This is it's just item number one thousand exactly. in in proving to people that there are two different sets of rules in this country. There are rules for powerful right. Democrats, and there are, there are rules Democrat. for people like you and I. This is this is what they do, and people are sick of it. it it's it's making people, people feel hopeless. It, it feels like there is no justice out there. It, it, it's it feels as useless as going to a feminist rally and trying to find a woman who can cook. Oh, no. What? I think you make a really solid point about the sadness and the powerlessness that people feel in the face of this. At some point, people are going to say, why should I follow the rules? Why should I be a good citizen if they don't have to follow the rules? I mean, things kind of break down at some point, don't they? They will break down. They are breaking down, Tucker. I've said this before, and I'm telling you, I'm I'm worried that I'm right. The right is going to pick a fascist within 10 to 20 years because they're not going to be the only only ones on the outs. There's 60, 70 million of us. We're not a tiny minority. And if we're going to be all treated like criminals and all subject to every single law while Antifa Black Lives Matter guys go free and Hunter Biden goes free, then the right's going to take drastic measures. And it's not about Hunter (laughs) Biden and his drug use. Nobody cares. on the weekend it's about justice that he's never held accountable for and none of the bidens are but you would be tucker and so would i what a fucking pinhead that's so well put and you're His absolutely neck's so right. red we're moving toward actual Weird. extremism because they're that's so well system put, and you're absolutely right and I, I don't think we can say that enough i'm so glad that you just said it 
Jesse Kelly, thank you. I'm gonna well, rewind this so a little bit. So well put. And your ads about justice that he's <laughs> this, that got he didn't even he didn't even say anything. European hookers on the weekend. No, it's he about didn't. justice that he's it's never just held buzzwords. accountable for. None of the Bidens are, but you would be talking. Powerful so Democrats. All That's of the so Democratic well voters, no, no one, no one has to follow the rules of the law, but conservatives do because they're the minority party. That kept extremism at bay, and I, I don't yeah. think we can well, toward actual extremism. So well put, well put. and you're absolutely right. We're moving toward moving actual toward extremism actual extremism. Because the system that kept liberals are bay. undermining a system that kept extremism at bay. Jesse Kelly, oh, thank you. Oh, 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 oh. So, because. Women can't actually cook at feminist rallies. Actual extremism is coming to the conservatives' party because they have been left with no choice. Yeah, it's that's how it always is. Well, the the always system that keeps you... actual extremism at bay is women who can actually cook. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what I, I got from it. I, I I don't know where you got the women cooking part. <laughs> Oh, dude. Oh, man. Hear it. Oh, you can't hear it, but I'll, I'm going to play Delaware, it again. Police begin um, Navy he he, he makes a joke about going so to a feminist how would you, uh, rally. How, how do you think it would work if you were uh, okay. in a federal gun force? Yeah, I, I guess I missed it with all the I think I wouldn't be on your show right now unless they were out. allowing me to do it from Fort Leavenworth. This is wild. I, I, we both know exactly. how this works, Tucker. This Here. is it's just item number one thousand in in proving to people that there are two different sets of rules in this country. There are rules for powerful right. Democrats, and there and there are rules for people like you yeah. and I. This is this is what they do, and people are sick of it. it it's which is it's making people feel hopeless. It feels as useless as going here, here. I'm sorry. I just, I got to repeat what this guy's saying. Listen to this. This is what they do and people are sick of it. it people are sick of it's it. It's making people feel hopeless. Maybe, people it, it feels are feeling like hopeless. There is no justice feels like there's there. no justice it, out there. It feels as useless as it going feels to a feminist rally and trying to find a woman, who can, to find a woman who can cook. Oh my god, I, I can't believe I've 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 watched this clip probably four or five times and I missed it every time. Word That's for absurd. word quote. And and that <laughs> that that was the jumping point. We're at the two minute mark in a three minute video. That was the jumping point for them to agree with each other and say that actual extremism is coming because liberals have as far as I can tell, they're saying liberals have Remove the system that kept extremism at bay, and that system was women who could actually cook. And then I guess arresting Hunter Biden for doing cocaine. And then Hunter Biden. Yeah. Which is which is uh, complete gaslighting because if you look electorally over the last, you know, the Carl Ro Carl Rove Mitch McConnell days of Congress, it's constantly been them ramming through doing whatever the fuck they want regardless of procedure law it, they just do it and the republicans or I'm sorry, and the democrats have been the one that have been playing nice and playing kind too much that's what it looks like to, to their, me man to their detriment that's the reality it's the democrats confine themselves to procedure and rules and they always because they, they because of this rhetoric yeah and when you talk a conservative into a corner about this they'll fucking smirk at you like a little fucking devil bastard yeah
Yeah. Yeah. And that's how fascists and abusers always operate. It's like, you made me do this. Yeah. Yep. And they're putting a timeline on it too, which I think is worth pointing out 10 to 20 years, which I think is important because when I'm arguing for or against the rise of fascism, when I'm arguing saying that it's an existing thing, that's the main point I make is that it doesn't happen. It doesn't, fascism doesn't start with goose stepping down roads in brown shirts. It's a process, it takes time. You know, and that's what a lot of the people who like put their head in the sand about this, like, will not acknowledge or don't realize is that it it's a it's a it's a process and we've we definitely slowed it down a lot by not electing trump again if we got trump again this would have been streamlined like by double you know we would have been like a openly admittedly fascist country by like 2030 (laughs) but we have we have some time to fend it off still he i mean they they both openly stated that it's okay that we're headed toward fascism because we're left with no choice. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's against progression. <clears throat> expect them in like expect them in like ten fifteen years to be a openly fascist party. Like they'll say it. They say they'll yeah we're fascist. Expect that to have. We'll eventually get to that point if we like don't keep doing what we can to not have that happen. <laughs> yeah, but you're also sort of implying in the same breath that there's enough people in this country to make an openly fascist party at least viable half the time. Uh well, electorally the Republicans get in enough to make it relevant, right? I mean, in our lifetimes, how many times has a Republican president gotten into office despite the popular vote? Like every time, except George H. W. Bush. <laughs> so it's not about a majority. You know, they can take over the country with a minority if they really wanted to. If they if they got the right people in the right places, which was another problem with Trump's power grab, that like he just didn't have the right people in the right places. He had lackeys, but I understand that. Fear, but it seems to me like the body of the country is moving in a certain direction. And even if a subset of that body is willing to clam up even tighter into the black iron prison, I I think they would be condemning themselves to further obscurity by doing that. Yeah, it's very. You're you're probably right. I mean, it tends to go towards. Society and humanity tends to move towards progress, but uh, you know, it's just we got to be aware of the at the back of the roadblocks that can come up at any point. Think about how much more society could have been advanced if the Third Reich never actually happened. Yeah, if we don't, um, if we don't fight it off or whatever. Yeah, which you know, it, enough of the country is waking up. That's a part of the process. Is like. It, just being aware of it is a big part. But for right now, he still is uh, 3 million viewers a night. 3 million people watched that interview live. And it's just been, it's been, as far as rhetoric goes, been following the rabbit hole ever since. You know, mm-hmm. it's only going to be a matter of time before the uncles on Facebook are going to be saying the same kind of thing. 
Well, don't be surprised if you're making us fascist. It doesn't make any sense. It feels like <laughs> it feels like the things, all the things that they're afraid of, is what they're they're turning themselves into, or something. Yeah. The people who are saying that they're turning to fascism in response to where the country's headed are the same people who are terrified of, like, trigger words like socialism and communism. But, I mean, you look at the countries, right, that... You look at the countries in the world that are commonly associated with those terms, communism and socialism, and they're effectively fascist countries, aren't they? Uh, like the countries that call themselves communist? Yeah, like I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call the, the CCP a communist party. They're more fascist than they are. Com- they don't do anything communist. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm suggesting really that like they're caught up with the fear of communism, but what they're really afraid of is the things uh, that their party is turning into, it seems to me. Well, a lot of the things that people are that are still grabbing onto this, their actual fears are like irrelevancy and like uh, social shifts. Yeah, but they're That's willing the to fear. turn to things that are like fundamentally. Uh, it just yeah. it's it seems so weird to me. It seems like a like a quote unquote Chinese finger trap situation where like you know people on the left aren't even preoccupied with. Um, our country turning into Venezuela, right? But the people on the yeah. right are, and they're also preoccupied with their own party becoming fascist. It just seems weird to me. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's, they just never have a full perspective because they are so ready to grab on Venezuela, the state oil grabbing Venezuela. But you know what? Norway has state-run oil, too, and they never talk about that, do they? Because Norway does it well. And they're, <laughs> it's not... It's not about the it's not about the method, it's about who's who's doing it and how. If if you have real like knowledge about Venezuela's problem, then you understand that it's a problem of putting all your eggs into one basket. Y- yeah, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the fact that like they wanted to just state run oil or whatever. It's it yeah, it's it really it's an really really like it's a consequence of fascism, isn't it? Because there weren't enough yeah. minds involved in the in the decision making. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I'll, that's why I also say that the CCP is not communist or fascist because they're a one state party making all the decisions. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. That's that's not that's not communism. I mean it is it is in the process of abolishing a state so that you achieve a classless stateless society but once you start holding on to that state power you're not it's not a communist thing anymore i understand that but i I think which is why communism will never exist by the way yeah the things that the the, the ways that we think about communism and socialism is to think about these countries that represent it for us and I think, to your point, in many cases they're more fascist than they are communists in reality. Yeah, they're they're state capitalists. That's all that. That's all. That's all. That's all. China is state capitalism. It's that lack of a clear understanding that. Um, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta be clear about your terms when you have a conversation or when you're trying to engage with politics or trying to engage with the media. 
if, yeah, if, if you don't have clearly defined word. terms and you're not sharing your definitions with everyone else, I, I, yeah. No, that's 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 the, the uh, that's the main thing that's important when you're doing uh, either a debate or just exchange, exchanging ideas. You have to have an established, equitable. A relay of definitions and terms, or there will be no understanding. And uh, the think tank groups in the right wing, they know that too, which is why they spent the last 30 years trying to obfuscate terms. Like Ronald Reagan has that famous quote, like, when fascism comes to America, it will be under the guise of liberalism. So, you know, the muddying of the waters yeah. started 30 years ago. Yeah. They, they, they muddy waters, they build walls, they build silos, they move you over to Parlor, they move you over to Fox Nation, they move you into Newsmax, and, and so you get less exposure to the, you know, the publicly grounded um, definitions of terms. And then, and then you're, you're basically in a cult. There was one conservative I was arguing with so much. Every time I threw out the word fascism, they would just counter it. You know, that's a lefty thing or whatever. I had to just finally one day throw out, here is my definition of fascism. The, like, accepted academic definition of it. It's like a full paragraph long, but here it is. And if you want to contest it, I want something, like, specifically cited. Right. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm done playing this game. You just have to call it out and be specific. Yeah, because otherwise it's just like two, two factions warring with each other for supremacy. See, yeah. When two factions are warring with each other, they're not having like diplomatic exchanges. They're just trying to kill each other. <laughs> and that's that's not how we need to operate this country. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It's bad. We need to have better foundations of education, which is why I'm such a huge fan of the 1619 project. Um, oh, and that that also kind of ties in while we're still on the subject. Um, so Jesse Kelly, that guy that we just listened to, mm -hmm. he's a real shitlord. There's an awesome tweet that he gave yesterday while I was pulling links together for the episode. Oh, this is so good. So here's his tweet. People complain about Japan's education system because they're quite generous with how they teach the ugly parts of Japan's history. Right or wrong, Japan understands that patriotic citizens are critical to the health of a nation. We went the other direction. So you hear what he's advocating for here, right? Lying to young people. And not even just young people, just like the entire education. Because like we kind of do that. Right, like when oh, we're yeah. in elementary, when we're in elementary school, it's like Columbus is a yeah. cool guy. Everybody is Santa Claus. Yeah, everybody's and, a hero. And then, and then, to some degree, we correct that in high school. Not nearly as much as we should, but to some degree, we do try to correct that. But what he's saying is basically just like state-approved education, which is kind of like what the page uh, Trump had that when he was in office. What was it called? Uh, This this is this is a, a a a vocal member of the party of cancel culture complaining, saying that we need to control the message that we give to our young people. <laughs> yeah, patriotic education—that's what it was. Trump's patriotic education. Yeah. So this is just an extension of that, and about how, like, yeah, to preserve 
national patriotic identity that yeah we have to whitewash our history that's cool that's real cool what really um, freaks me out is um just the idea that people who have this idea that it's okay to to tell uh I'll say white lies to the 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 youth of our nation those people have their own kids i would would not want to be raised by one of them i mean how many times has Kellyanne Conway's daughter tried getting emancipated in the past 18 months. Yeah, it's a nightmare. I I feel so bad for her. Yeah, it sucks. You either become like someone constantly trying to escape out of it, or you just become a formed version of it. Hell, I saw... Which is is equally sad. You know, like a a true crime show the other day about the daughter of two tiger parents or whatever i don't i don't know um what country they're from specifically but they're asian americans and they really push their daughter to get perfect grades and um she couldn't date and all those things and she ended up like lying about finishing school lying about going to college lying about getting a degree lying about not dating someone and then when they found out she murdered him because she didn't want to live under their fucking thumb and it's like it's it's just all bad just all bad the whole thing's bad it was bad for 20 years you spent 20 years just doing a bad thing all of you Um, let's see. Biden tosses Trump lackeys for energy experts at the EPA. That's pretty cool. It's probably one of the few policy things I, or policy related things I put down this week. Uh, Announced Wednesday, he'll remove more than 40 members of the scientific advisory panels appointed under the previous administration. So these people were basically like, uh, there's a term for it when you get put into a when you're a person who is supposed to regulate oh, the thing wh- that you are. What, yeah, when you um you're basically put there to make an a, an institution worthless, useless. Yeah, like the, the, these are a lot of oil related people that are like getting fired. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I forget. There's a there's an actual term for it. I can't remember. But that's like what his entire administration was that's betty devos in the education department yes yep lewis joy in the post office it's so that's good that in terms of uh you know the air we breathe (laughs) we have some actual experts in some of these things just take time you know it's four months in finally got around to doing it but there's so much to undo, especially like in terms of the ice facility at the border. Like it is an absolute disaster, but so much of that was the bare bones structure that was set up before Biden got in and having to deal with that. Could you imagine? And having to deal with 
living in a country where everything is um, bitterly divided between two equal parties and the only change that ever happens is every four years with sweeping presidential fucking, what are they called, executive orders, and that's all that happens. Could you imagine if if it fucking changed every four years and just thousands of people got rotated in and out of offices every four years, thousands of fucking bills got changed every four years, and, and nothing ever fucking permanent happens? This pendulum swinging thing is really getting outrageous. Yeah, that's that's why we have Congress, so that this kind of thing doesn't happen. <laughs> this is but where we are, though. Anything. This is where we are. Yeah, everything that happens between between uh, presidential presidencies comes down to executive orders for the past twenty years since Obama. Yeah, because the, the real ineffectiveness started with Mitch McConnell. It was present since Carla Rove. Carla Rove laid out the foundation and the groundwork for the formula, and Mitch McConnell brought it into full fruition. So weird. Um, yeah, and that's the result you get. You just get presidents that are left with no other choice but to sign executive orders, and then they have to be, and then and then in the right wing media they get called tyrants for signing so many executive orders. Yep. Yeah, that's how my dad uh, characterized Obama for a long time. Yeah, I saw a meme within, like, the first 30 days. It's like, if you have more executive orders than days in office, then you might be a tyrant. And it was like a Jeff Foxworthy meme. Uh-huh. It's just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense in so many ways. No, it's like, just, a, it's it's like a, someone being uh, McConnell's, like, uh, wingman, just giving him a, a leg up. Yeah. Um, I do have a little story about how bad it is at the border. I don't know if we want to get into that. It is super bad, and something needs to be done about it. I fucking hate ICE so much. They're all fat, racist pieces of shit. And it shows when you see how they treat these people. Um, I've seen... I've seen a lot of people who work at the border, at least, who are definitely multiracial, multilingual, but ICE is everywhere. Yeah, there's some diversity there, but as far as, like, the data goes, they're one of the most racist fucking groups as far as Self-egoism for you. Who who joins ICE? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Who joins ICE? You know, um, and his and historically, just the entire our entire history of having patrol people on the border has has just been one filled with uh, death and racism. Like that's basically all that it is. Starting with like the Mexican American War onwards. Um, do, 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 do. let's see. Oh, he also reversed the trans ban in the military. Talking about reversing things, which is so that's cool. You can serve in your preferred gender again. Oh. Um, one of the most transphobic people I've ever met is a Marine. So that, I wonder how he feels about that. I just don't know why people care. You know? Like, you can, you can walk around on a Saturday night hunting for trans people to beat up. Or you could, like... Do whatever you want to do 
that stimulates your own interests so that doesn't involve hurting someone else. <laughs> like, why do you yeah. care? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bigotry is mind-blowing. Yeah, I figured it's out from a Stars and Stripes article, which is a military newspaper. And I was curious about their fact check record. So I looked it up and they're apparently very unbiased. Ooh. Yeah. With a high fact check record too. That's good that they're not some like propaganda mill for fucking the military. That they actually just report on news. You can find quality journalism within the military. I wasn't really expecting that. Um, what else is going on? New York legalizes recreational marijuana. Andrew Cuomo is trying to do everything he can to make himself seem like a good governor. Yep. <laughs> I'm not leaving, but weed's free. <laughs> I guess no one ever leaves because they don't want to admit guilt. Right. People used to be well, people used to be better about leaving and Democrats usually leave when it like Al Franken left the Senate when he probably shouldn't have during the whole Me Too storm. Mm. He got caught up in like a, a very minor one. Yeah, it's like he's like at a party and like t he touched like girl's shoulders, I think, with that. I don't know. But he yeah, he uh, straight up quit after that. And even Democrats were like, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> that was probably but, what inspired Trump to wage war against cancel culture. He felt bad about Al Franken. That is around the time it started becoming a buzzword. Because, to be fair, there was some ridiculousness going on in the clouds of the Me Too movement. There was a lot of overreaching. That's what happens but, with mob behavior, mob mentality, right? Yeah. Look at the Capitol riots. Yeah. This this is this is an example of why not all change is necessarily progress. Yeah. Like we do need probably some sort of governing agent, some sort of um conservative body in our country to counter the liberalism, but as far as I could tell, the one we have right now is broken. Yeah, and historically, they've only ever done it to, like, maintain some kind of hierarchy. Like, the conser if, if I'm for conservatism if it's done for actual axiomatically justified sets of principles, you know? Mm -hmm. But it always boils down to xenophobia, racism, uh, fear. There's always, it's always an emotionally tied... It's it's more tied in emotion than it is in empiricism. I think the conservative ideology, mm -hmm. and I and, and I think just just historically how it's been. And I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for having that in uh, the social discussion. The head and the heart. But yeah, I I, I feel like uh, it really should just. It used to be so irrelevant, right? Like, this is probably the most relevant the conservative party has ever been, like, in the history of the country, minus the one time they, like, seceded. Which I don't even know if you could break that up into, like, a conservative, I don't know, 
because the civil the civil the motivations behind the civil war are t- definitely tied to slavery but it wasn't like the north was not racist either you know now why do people who are in like pocketed areas of sameness politically why do they think like their team is the correct team like there's there's such an interesting difference between north and south rural and urban right like yeah it the 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 people who maybe in retrospect sometimes get labeled as conservative always seem like the people who are trying to protect the old ways <laughs> yeah i mean that's what's what it's kind of like what is lying underneath the ideology and i would again be okay with that if you stuck to that in an honest way but it never happens it's never honest there's there's people within the conservative movement that that are honest about their intentions Mm -hmm. like there's people that don't want culture to change because they actually just like culture the way it is and that's one thing but the people moving the movement, the think tanks, the politicians, the devoted base that's wrapped up in all kinds of heinousness, I think. <laughs> yeah. And also... Like, even Mitt Romney, who, like, the liberal media is trying to paint as the good old boy that stands up against, like, the ever-changing GOP, he's a scumbag, too. He's just as much of a person that voted for tax cuts and deregulation and war profiteering and everything else. But there's there's a there's a an argument that could be made for that like the conservative movement has been losing ground for hundreds of years or whatever. So I would almost think that it would make sense that true conservatives would want things to go back to how they were when they started losing ground. Like, we still think slavery should be legal, you know? And and those (laughs) sorts of things. So, I just... It's like, liberalism is this, this ideology of discovery and understanding the world and pushing the boundaries and, like, loving... Well... I'm being very vague right here. But like, yeah, it depends what decade of liberalism you're looking at. Yeah, well, I'm not even, I'm not even mean. I don't even really mean po- like the the political definition of liberalism necessarily. I just well, I liberalism mean, used to be very closely associated to socialist movements in the country. I just don't um, understand like, why conservatives who are true conservatives, and maybe there are like people like this out in Utah or whatever, who are just like. Things are so bad right now. We need horse and buggies. We need no electricity. We, I don't know. I'm I'm just really confused about it. I, f- I find it very confusing. I can't, I can't make, s- we've been talking for three months now and I keep coming back to this, trying to understand the conservative position in a general way. And, and it, it never works for me ever. makes a lot more sense once you realize that at least 30 to 50 percent of them are just doing it for racism (laughs) 
and and like they 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 might not even be they might not even admit it to themselves. Most 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 racists don't think they're racist. I think powerful conservatives depend upon ignorant people, and therefore it's necessary for the core messages in their base to be ignorant messages. Well, if you actually want to look at the history until when they started shifting the rhetoric into what we see today, it again goes back pre-Reagan because what it was, it was the fallout of Nixon, right? Nixon created this dark cloud over Republican uh, politics because he was Watergate. Not only did he get taken down and have to resign, like his attorney general got sentenced to federal prison. A bunch of other people got sent to federal prison. So it's really stained the image of what the Republican Party looked like. And um, which sucked because this was right after the Southern strategy, which was the goal to turn the Dixiecrat Democrats, the Southern Democrats, into Republicans uh, through basically behind closed doors promoting, you know, this is the racist party now, so come with us now. Um, so when Ronald Reagan came in, there was a huge push within the libertarian wing of the party, um, which was trying to build into being the establishment wing of the party to craft a narrative about um, states' rights, uh, the government, the only thing a government can do is a bad thing, things like that. So it really started around then. And it, you, that's when you started to see, like, the welfare queen message starting to come out and all these other, like, fake stories. Hmm. And, like, it makes perfect sense, too, because Ronald Reagan is such a he, – he, he is a version of Donald Trump, that he is just as stupid um, and just as politically incompetent as Donald Trump. And it's, it's, it becomes very obvious when you, like, read into the people around him who are like, this guy can't be a president. But all he was was a mouthpiece for the GOP. And he was very effective at that because he was an actor. So isn't it fair to, to, to feel like a lot of people are willfully, for lack of a better term, stupid? And then they like collect around stupid ideas and assert their stupidity. And then people who want to have power realize that they can um, leverage this group of people's stupidity against themselves by by using it in their messaging and then it it you know it becomes viable enough to to become an entire party you have stupid people and racist people and evil people and drug addicts and people who are scared of god people who hide in rabbit holes Versus, like, lazy artists with their heads in the clouds and intellectuals and um, non-white people who are voting in their own self-interests. It's, like, a really interesting... I think think it's so fucking obvious that um, the two-party system is not working for us. Really, I think I think that's where my head is going. Like the two-party system is impossibly dysfunctional, and if if we really want to be able to 
be a country of the people and for the people, we need to collect our ideas into better buckets, even if that means there's more than two fucking buckets. And we need to let those ideas compete with one another in a way that isn't stupid fucking pendulum swinging. Yeah, and you see that problem in regional politics a lot, too. Like, if you look at, like, New York politics, which I kind of was looking into a little bit because the Cuomo thing, where they have supermajority Democrat everything, <laughs> there's so much dysfunction still within that framework because within this democratic body are a ton of different vast ideological discrepancies that cause huge friction you have the grassroots aoc ilhan omar type wing of the growing movement and then you have the establishment cuomo type people uh butting heads constantly yeah and yeah and and they're Democrats, theoretically, they shouldn't be doing that, but there's such a huge window of priorities. Or there's such a huge gap in priorities, I guess I should say. It's funny, you you mentioned the strong Democrat leanings. The, The mayor of New York City is not uh running for re-election, so like there's a huge um, pool of mayoral candidates, including Andrew Yang. You remember him? Yeah, I saw he was running. Yeah. Um, a lot of, like, real New Yorkers aren't a big fan of him because he's not a real New Yorker. But right. um, the, the conversations, right, that are happening on WNYC are, are it's so assumed that it's a it's a democrat election right that the only part of the election that anybody talks about is the primary the democratic primary nobody gives a fuck who the republican candidates are yeah it becomes just irrelevant which is shouldn't be how it should be done no no it's just another sign that our two party system is not working for us. Yeah, and, and like, you know, there's so much variance too. Like I, I even so there the governor of Massachusetts, which Massachusetts is another is probably the bluest state in the country. Um it is. I don't even have to say probably it is the bluest state in the country. Their governor or yeah, their governor is a Republican. But like policy wise, he's he's like a centrist. He's not really like a Republican. Mm-hmm. He just has to, he just like ran as one. Right. And he has, and because he had to win Massachusetts, he had to platform as ideologically, basically not a Republican. Yeah. And we need to appreciate the fact, and we do oftentimes, it's certainly um, in the public awareness, um, we need to appreciate the fact that everybody in politics, is lying, right? Yeah. Which is really kind of frustrating that no one's fighting for what they really believe in or whatever. Well, there's there's some people there's, like there's in the, Bernie the, Sanders. The, <laughs> well, the the entire sock dem progressive caucus, I would say, Confederate umbrella too. Like, I I I genuinely believe the motivations of like uh, Parissa Jopal, Ilhan Omar, AOC, Cory Bush. Like they all seem like really well intentioned people. 
Do you think it would, I, I guess it isn't because they don't, but do you think it would be in conservatives' best interest to not constantly generate stories about these progressive Democrats, these young progressive no. Democrats? No, it works, man. Because you have to think even for as much as it might be super effective for like the people that just eat every single word up that comes out of the, these these mills. Yeah. Uh, for the people who are unengaged and just hear peripherally what's going on, that message still gets put in their head over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The AOC is a child. She's irresponsible. She doesn't, you know, still like, if that's just what you're hearing without looking into it, you'll just accept that as what as what the truth is, which is, I think, more effective than targeting your base. You're You're getting the unengaged people to stay unengaged because they're not aware that like this person actually is fighting for them yeah i guess my my thoughts are that she's one of hundreds of members of the house and a big reason why a major reason why she's a household name across the country is because of the right news media bitching about her in my opinion. Well, you also can't discount her election win. I mean, that was an historical election win. Yeah. If, if, if you're in the realm of politics, that was a behemoth that she took down. Like, he was, he was going to be Speaker of the House. He would be probably Speaker of the House right now if things were on course to be the, what, the way they should be. Is that right? So, but, yeah, but, but she came Yeah, and he's like representative of the style of politics that we all find so disgusting like completely entrenched in donorship does whatever the donors say doesn't even show up to council meetings to like talk to people yeah like absolute nightmare of a person so like the fact that she was able to beat him by only raising three hundred thousand dollars wow that was like yeah that was like a huge deal when that happened so that she became an instant household name on the left and i'm sure like cnn you know, even centrist kind of news organizations ran with it. But because of that success story, then yeah, the right wing immediately tried to vilify her as much as she, as much as they could. Yeah. That's which, which does help maintain her relative, you know, any, as far as like the idiom, any, even bad press is good. Yeah. Any press. news is good news. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, the idea that the, the duopoly, the two-party majority private parties in the United States, they actually strengthen one another, right? They depend yeah. on one another. Um, by vilifying one another, it keeps both of their grips of power um, more secure. Yeah, that's true. There's a big part of that that... There's a big part of like the um, there's like a kayfabe aspect to it, professional wrestling, and like what kayfabe is is like a the truth behind the curtain, you know, yeah. and like there's like a, there's a huge kayfabe uh, aspect of politics, which is like a lot of them are actually just friends, you know. Hmm. Yeah, um, it reminds me of when I went to court for. Uh, getting caught with marijuana in college and like my public defender is there and the prosecutors like district attorneys there and the judge and all that yeah 
and all mm-hmm. of all of us who are getting like talked to in a fucking line because there's the hundred of us. We're in Penn State, biggest party school in the country. They got to run through fifty DUIs in an afternoon. It's like what's going on at the border right now. Um, <laughs> you know, before it all starts, the whole lot of them, both sides, all three sides, really are all hobnobbing. You know. And sitting around a circular desk. Yeah, all ho- right papers. in front of us, just hobnobbing. Yep. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. This is... Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like it It just... It's so inappropriate in that space to, to, yep. to, to send that signal. Yeah, when I got busted for weed a few years ago, um, and I was talking to my lawyer with the cop, like, when we were all done... Matt, my, my cop was like, no, nah, I'm going to, or the lawyer was, my lawyer was like, no, nah, I'm going to stay behind and catch up with him a little bit. And I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so aggravating, but whatever, I guess. What happens? Um, let's see. Anything else? These, these systems, they, yeah, they're like self, self-preserving right it's really interesting but scary terrifying i mean it, you know it kind of makes sense the the interest of the state is to preserve itself so you're gonna have a lot of that you know that's why like the, the associated press we rely on that to be uh, neutral centered news but that company was founded as a propagating tool for the American government to justify the Mexican-American war. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reason why we um, respect it, right, is because we get the sense that it is a decentralized, um, coordinated or concerted effort among thousands of independent actors and and what comes out of the AP is like the cream of the crop, the what rises to the surface of all this activity. And for for me, I, I find that conceptually is a lot more um It makes me feel much more at ease being within a system like that versus a fascist system. Yeah, exactly. It's it's absolutely you're either playing a brutal defense against uh, hateful, uh, oppressive ideology, or you're playing offense against this like soft autocratic rule of governance that's always been around since the founding of the country this form of government has always been around it's always been a fake aristocracy based kind of democracy it's never not been this It, it goes in waves of how intense the aristocracy is and how much influence the aristocracy has but it's always it has always been there but yeah, that's why, like, for the 2020 election, if it was, like, literally Nancy Pelosi with, like, a skeleton on a puppet string, 
I would have voted for that skeleton and I wouldn't have voted for Trump still. Like that's, that's why there was uh, such a huge turnout for Biden. Cause it had nothing to do with Biden. Yeah. I, in 2016, I did not vote for a president in 2020. I would have v- voted for any leading Trump competitor. Yep. But falling back on the old trope of um, the better of two evils is, <laughs> you know, not the status quo we want for our country, is it? No, absolutely not. And yeah, if you look, like, it's, again, it's kind of always has been that. Like, our democracy has kind of just always been there when we feel like we need it instead of using it as a constant tool, right? Like, if you look at what was the last largest turnout, uh, elect like, general election turnout besides this one, you have to go back 100 years to the Herbert Hoover election, which I'm sure was, like, a very much the same kind of motivating, repudiating type of deal of why people voted so much because he was an awful president right yeah yeah people turn out to vote in droves when they actually um feel strongly about something this is why i've said before that it seems to me that um well my point was is usually usually when they strong uh when they stand strongly against something not stand they don't vote when they stand for something they're more likely to vote when they stand against something yeah, uh, I yeah. I agree. I yeah yeah absolutely. Um, that's that's why I feel like which I I don't like that. But the empire and conservative movement has more power when there's nothing to stand up against. It yeah. seems to me that the the left kind of wanders off whenever there isn't something to fight to fight for or fight against. Yeah, and it kind of ties back into what we were saying last week, just about how adaptable the human being is. As soon as we have like a base level of comfort, like we're basically okay. So it's hard to keep fighting for areas where like outcomes aren't as equitable as they might be for you. Which is why there's a lot of truth to saying that like the progress of democracy and the progress of America has been led by a uh, black people every step of the way. And like they're they're going to be the ones that save our democracy and make it more equitable at the by the end of it. <laughs> hmm. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the, the black vote is why we won Philly, it's why we won Georgia. Well, I don't know. I I think we won Philly cuz of all my efforts on Facebook, but we don't have to debate that. <laughs> what do you think was going on? They were just hiring farms you to think? do it. Yeah. You think Amazon was paying for it? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, sure, I'm why sure not? That- but like by that same token, why not? It was some fucking trolls having a a laugh to try to spin up more controversy. Well, because this it seems like a wide effort, right? This seems like 
it seems like there was more intention behind it than it just being... Or, like, what if it was Antifa intentionally doing a bad job spinning up bots to make Amazon <laughs> look worse than they already do? <laughs> no. It's Occam's Razor. They Amazon hired an Indian farm to do some Indian farm work for them. <laughs> 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 I, I think it was like all the the companies that went out of business after the 2020 election. They needed uh, they needed some cash flow, so they turned to Amazon. Oh, there was another attack on the Capitol. I guess we could talk about that. The car. Yeah. Another officer got killed. So that's the second officer down this year from attacks on the Capitol. Uh. He was ranting about end times yeah. before ramming into the officers. The thing that was interesting to me, apparently this guy was a follower of Louis Farrakhan. Who's that? I don't know if you know. So uh, he's like a black nationalist. He's the leader of, it's called the Nation of Islam. Yeah. And it's it's a, like, I, I never really knew much about him. The first, my exposure to Farrakhan was like, I was... I like listening to lectures sometimes when I go to bed. So I was looking for like live streams of lectures. I usually can only find the Alan Watts one, mm -hmm. but I, fa I found a Farrakhan one. So I clicked that and within 15 seconds, I had to shut it out because like I could just feel like the anger in his rhetoric. Like he wasn't saying anything bad, but I could feel it <laughs> like real. I could I could instantly feel it. That that but, yeah. that show on cults on a and &E, I was watching. They. uh featured the Nation of Islam and accused them of a lot of child labor at their restaurants around the country. That's rough. They do um, yeah, a lot of human trafficking. They take kids away from their parents at a very young age and basically that's... never let the parents see them again. They just become like children of the Nation of Islam. That's disgusting. Since extremism comes in all forms, uh, they're, and they're super anti-Semitic too. Like that's like one of their main things, which is a problem that is, exists on both the right and the left, more so on the right, though, with being unable to separate anti-Semitism from anti-Zionism. It's like those are two separate things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a radicalizing movement. It's. Shame, and I, I, I bet you, right wing media is going to run with this nonstop because it's not a white boy. They all, they all want to summon the end of times. I've seen it so many, so many times. Like, oh, I'm just praying for a zombie apocalypse. Oh, we just need a natural disaster to wipe us out. We've gotten too large, or uh, oh, you know over and over and over again and then people start getting older 10 years go by and you're like well, how come there's no zombie apocalypse yet <laughs> i'm i'm Preppers. sitting here on my couch every day i work 50 goddamn hours a week i still don't have enough money to buy the kind of whiskey i want i have to get the cheap shit and there's <laughs> <sighs> a movie 10 cloverfield lane no i haven't seen that one it's like the perfect profile of the type of person who is a prepper <laughs> like the type of personality that is a prepper mm. it's like all about it's about this girl it's like locked in a survival shelter with john goodman 
Oh. And John Goodman is a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much. Well, that was a movie that was having trouble getting made. And then the guy who made Cloverfield put it under like the franchise of Cloverfield, even though it technically wasn't right. Uh, well, it got greenlit to be made right off the bat, I think. A distribution like, was having a hard time. Something like that. He, uh, he, um, so, J.J. loved the script. He bought the script right away. And then they were filming. They actually were filming the same time that J.J. was filming Force Awakens. Um, uh-huh. And they were having, pro- yeah, during filming, they were having problem getting distribution rights. So that's when J.J. decided to just attach the Clover name thing to it and add like an extra t- five, ten minutes to connect it to the universe. Right. Yeah, which that's where that's where the movie is the weakest is when they have to try to force a tie into Cloverfield. But the the non Cloverfield stuff is really excellent stuff. Being a, a doomsday prepper seems to correlate with um, mental instability a lot of the times. That being said, li- after living through COVID, I I don't see any problems with having a stash of food and some other things oh, yeah. in place. <laughs> Prep, when yeah, when, when a you're a fucking endeavor. state senator saying, I need my AR-15 to protect my family when the mob comes after a natural disaster, you're like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm all for preppers. Is the people that started prepping. That's the people, you, <laughs> the first round of preppers. <laughs> yeah. They're the weird ones. You ever see that new, I guess it's not new anymore, that reality show called Alone? No. It's like Survivor or Naked and Afraid, except you have clothes and you're all alone. <laughs> but uh, we watched the latest season, which takes place in the Arctic. And these people okay. had to like build their own shelters, had to... Survive off the land, berries, trapping, small game, anything. These people could shoot a fucking squirrel out of a tree with a bow and arrow from 200 feet away. It blew my mind. But it was a it was a really good show watching some of the skills some of these people had. But, like, you get two months in, a couple of them start losing body mass. Um, fucking one takes a rabbit she's skin and stuffs it and turns it into a stuffed animal puts another rabbit's face onto a stick and pretends it's a little puppet <laughs> that's so weird like a day later they have to remove her from the show because <laughs> she's you know on the borderline of like organ failure <laughs> it's a pretty cool show that's insane I can't believe they let that kind of thing go on that long right yeah it was like you watch it because these people are totally alone, literally filming themselves. You're like, man, I can't, I can't believe like they can legally do this show. Cause like first three days, someone falls, breaks their leg, breaks their knee. You know, fortunately he had his walkie talkie on him. And also I guess the film crew, right? No, no, <laughs> they film themselves. Oh, they leave them with, damn. they leave, leave them with like a 60 pound crate of film equipment. 
and they just come every like I don't know four days there, or five days I'm, to do a, a wellness ha- check. Yeah, insurance wise, there has to be something in place. It might be the wellness check, but yeah, they wouldn't be allowed to just like let people die. Right. <laughs> really, really, really cool show. Very compelling, especially like winter's setting in and the body of water that they're near like freezes over so much there's nothing you can do about it and <laughs> you cannot get to the water anymore like really good show that's unsettling yeah but i don't know state senator who needs an ar-15 because he's afraid of the mob in the event of a natural disaster that his party caused because they didn't want to give up on their addiction to oil and a little weird. Yeah. Basically the summary of it. Um, did you so Super Mario Brothers sold a wrapped plastic sealed copy of the NES game. Do you want to guess how much it sold for? I've already looked. Ah, uh, that's a lot of money though. Six hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Which, which I guess tells me there's not too many plastic-wrapped copies left. No. <laughs> That's sweet. I couldn't imagine even having that kind of foresight. Right. Yeah. But maybe if you were, you know, 30 when the NES launched, you, you might have already seen that collectibles are a thing and recognized that Nintendo's good. I don't know. Possible. I have I have an original copy of uh, Nintendo Power, the very first issue. Unfortunately, they they printed more copies of issue one than they did like any other issue ever. So there's plenty of them out there. Oh damn! I was just uh. There was a Planet Money episode about Magic the Gathering, about how they prevented from becoming a bubble. Yeah. And that was basically their solution, was as soon as they saw a card increase value, they would just make more of the cards. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Because first edition almost ruined them financially, because it's like they had to decide to either run with uh, the, the bubble burst popularity of super rare first edition cards and just keep doing that with every edition and eventually the fad will die. But by doing it this way, they're actually were able to sustain as a business for like 20 years. Mm. And to also like prevent, cause like the first edition cards are also super overpowered as well to prevent people from playing just with those cards. They, they, they were like one of the first people to do a pro league where you had to play with like the most recent set of cards. Yeah. There's probably three major rule sets in magic. There's, I'll probably get the names wrong, but Legacy includes all of the early editions. But then there's like the the most standard casual play, which includes everything except for the first two or three editions. And then yeah. there's the the contemporary like tournament rule set, which only lets you play with like the most recent uh boosters and and that keeps a rolling meta that's always changing because they unleash like totally new 
like rule sets or like mechanics with new yeah. additions. And Hearthstone ripped off that formula like straight up, right? Magic actually, or Wizards of the Coast actually tried suing Blizzard because they had the patent on trading cards, but Blizzard, I believe, won the lawsuit for various reasons, including that they're digital no cards, cards and yeah. all the cards have animations and stuff, so they're really not cards. But just, I mean, the idea that one company could own a patent on all trading cards blows my mind anyway. Um... Well, I mean, that stems into the video game world, too. That's why all directional pads have to look different, right? Because Nintendo yeah. copyrighted the D-pad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some weird um, situations. Like, Square has the rights to active time battles, whatever the fuck that means, you know? Yeah, right. Like, a gauged battle. It's like a turn-based battle, except... It happens in time. Only we can do those. Oh, well, I'm sure I can make some small change that'll make me legally pass some loophole. Why Why bother? And doesn't Pokemon have, like, a trademark on, like, turn-based battles in the fashion that they do it, or no? I don't know. Be worth looking into, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, It's funky, though, like... Some of that stuff. I'm trying to think. Other examples of weird IP in games. It sucks though, because, like, I have a lot of respect for intellectual property rights, people making money for their ideas. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for American innovation, but I also have a lot of respect for remixing and remix theory because it's a natural theory. It's a natural idea. Nothing is original. Nothing is original. So a lot of the, a lot of the preconceived notions we have for what makes something protectable under copyright and intellectual property law is like really ill-conceived. If you ask yeah, me, yeah, and like it it's makes also it hard. Too. Makes it hard to. I don't want to get too esoteric, but it makes it hard to engage in that, like, in the way that like pop music has that call and response of like love, sort of thing going on. It makes it hard to do that in, um, pro in like innovation spaces and progress because everyone's trying to protect their own little fucking idea. Like, oh, I patented the the little atomizer you have in your vape so everyone has to go through me to get their vape atomizers even though there's a hundred different companies making cartridges that put my atomizers in them i'll sue your ass if you make your own yeah i remember coming across that for the brief time i had a vape that was frustrating well there's also like a there's like a frame of ubiquity too because like once something becomes so popular it can't really like be a trademark anymore right kind of like Band-Aid can't sue other people for saying, get me a Band-Aid, because it's, like, such a ubiquitous term now. Well, no, you and can't like, say, sue it, someone for saying, get me a Band-Aid, but if another... Well, you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I think if another company had a commercial where they called their product a Band-Aid, they would probably get sued 
because if Band-Aid yeah. didn't sue them, then they would be effectively um, um, giving up their rights to the name. If you don't protect your trademark, then you effectively abandon it. So what I guess what I might be referring to then is just the use of the name. Like you, like if you're making a TV show, you can't have like a can of Coke unless you like get Coke's property, I think. But it, I don't know if it's the same with like Kleenex or Band-Aids because they're, so, they're like the term is so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. I, I could have sworn I remembered reading into something like that, but it, maybe I'm making it up. Well, you know, it, it is a weird question because they made it, I think in the 90s, they made it legal to uh, name drop competitor brands when you advertise. So like, right. fuck Coca-Cola, drink Pepsi. Like, it's like legal to do that, basically. So yeah, I'm not really sure where the line is with that stuff. Yeah, okay. Here, There's an article about it. It's a Business Insider article. Taser, Xerox, Popsicle, and 31 more brands turned household names. Okay, maybe it's just nothing more beyond that. For the most part, Generic. I think it's in their best interests to let people right, use the name of their product. Yeah, genericization is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bubble wrap. Oh, that's the name of a product, bubble wrap? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. You can't actually, like, anymore these days, you can't legally name a product. You can't get, a like, a, a trademark for a product name like that. Because yeah, chaps. you can't name a product what it is <laughs> right anymore chapstick is another one frisbee it's supposed to be called flying disc yep and of course popsicle oh what it's supposed it says what it's supposed to be called frozen ice tree on a stick no it's not <laughs> it's not supposed to be called that <laughs> it always it always like floors me how casually judges on like food competition shows will name drop the generic names for things. Right. So like they'll have to use Cheetos in an as an ingredient, but they'll never call it that. They'll always call it the exact same thing, like uh puffed corn cheesy treat. I I, I really liked how you took the, the crumbled cuffed corn cheesy treat and and gave it a you know a nice <laughs> hard uh Coating on your chicken. Well, a lot of that also stems from they're not allowed to call it that because it's not any of those things. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> like, uh, like Dove soap isn't really technically allowed to be called soap because it's not. It's detergent. Like the FDA says, you have to call it detergent. Ooh. Yeah. How's that? How do you, how does how do, how do you feel knowing that? <laughs> I always thought Dove was a really nice product. Now I'm wondering. Nope. You have to get the handmade soap. But it's only in the last year or so that I've kind of given up washing my entire body in general. Like, I always assumed I was supposed to wash all my skin, but it turns out that's just a, a capitalist conspiracy to sell more soap. <laughs> no, just the pits. Yeah. <laughs> if it, you're, you're doing, it turns out, and I believe this now that I've learned it, it turns out you're doing your body a a disservice washing all of your skin because you're essentially nuking the microbiome on your skin, which 
opens the door for a whole host of skin diseases. Yeah. Pretty funky. Pretty yo funky. yo is a trademark. Yu-Gi-Oh? Yo yo. Yo yo. What the hell would yeah, you it's call it? Called... Toy on a string. No. <laughs> I don't know what they called it before. That's what they say it's supposed to be called. I don't believe it because they also say that. Uh... What was the one I just said? Oh, yeah. Popsicles are supposed to be called frozen ice treat on a stick. On a stick. Yeah, I'm not yeah. buying. I'm not buying that. Well, there are frozen was... ice treats that aren't on sticks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to differentiate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I th- call me crazy, but I think yo-yoing is some of the most impressive live performance work you can do. I remember looking at some pretty cool 2010 YouTube videos of yo-yo tournaments there's a really nice documentary i don't know if it was about yo-yos or if it was a mini series about a bunch of different like off-key competitions i think it was on netflix really really fun to watch it's just like you get this spinning thing on the end of a string that you got to keep spinning you got to keep going up and down you're trying to catch it in all these different ways all in real time against gravity very impressive yeah, and it's usually like the, it's usually like the 12 year old that does the best yep yeah it's like video games where once you're fucking 17 you're over the hill yeah yeah it's funny watching that now in the smash bros community like they're all in their 30s and they all suck <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like one of the best players in the world is like Zach Gray, Japanese. He's like, I think now like 19. He was 16 when he started playing. MKLeo, I think, is now finally 20. Spargo is still in his teens. Like that, that's who's the best right now from last time I checked. I'm digging reading all these Marvel things. I got a Marvel and Lotus. It's a Marvel and Lotus subscription, so I just have access to basically their entire library. Oh, wow. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. $5 for the first month and then $10 a month after. That's pretty cool. I know. It's actually really sick. I'm. And I want. Go ahead. I just, like, I wanted to, like, read the. I don't know. I just wanted to read all their big main crossover events. Like I wanted to read the Annihilation Cosmic crossover event, but like I just felt like I kept missing background information. I always feel like like that when I read Marvel comics. I always feel like I'm missing information. I don't have the full story no matter where I dive in. But uh and then it's like, well, I don't want to read everything from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, that's why I'm glad I yeah. So I'm glad I found that reading order because it's like you gotta, someone's gotta do that anthropological archaeology and show you the way. Yeah. It's awesome. I've been wondering how I'm gonna play the really early Final Fantasy games. I'm gonna run 
I'm gonna run through every Final Fantasy game on the shiny yes. mode of Twitch. Because I, I want to record for stay here my my art exhibit thing, my game art exhibit. And I think the first franchise I'm gonna run through is Final Fantasy. But I don't want to do like remakes. I want to run all the originals. I would just uh like the NES versions, like not even the Game Boy Advance versions. I don't care so much about versions, I care about original graphics. Well, that, yeah, I mean, the Final Fantasy Game Boy Advance version is com- visually completely different than yeah. Final Fantasy NES. Yeah, and I think that's the case for all of the re-releases of, of like 1 through 4 or 5. I don't, I don't think you can get original graphics unless you go to the ROM or the original copy. Yeah, you can, and you can just do ROM and emulation. I see that all the time for all the Final Fantasy games. Yeah, which is probably what I'm gonna do. But I'm gonna start. I think, I think I'm gonna start, maybe with six, because I have six on my SNES Classic, and then I'll just run through the 3D ones first, and in the meantime, figure out how I'm gonna do the early ones. I um, Word. I was scrolling through. Facebook yesterday, and they recommended a public group to me called Smash Ultimate Hell. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I clicked on it, right? <laughs> and I start reading the about this group, and I'm like, I kind of like these people. I guess like <laughs> one of our old buddies from Scranton is is in this group. But in the about, it's like, what's melee? This truly is Smash Hell. If you don't keep up with the competitive spectacle, then you don't belong here. We're really feeling it. Smash Bros. is a shitposting dank meme franchise handed down to us by Sekirai in hopes that we'd get good. A franchise <laughs> is a general title or concept used for creating or marketing a series of products. Products are viable and viability leads to expansion. Super Smash Bros. Keep it SSB OC dank OC content. Please understand. Expands. Only high-level gameplay is allowed in terms of replays. If you don't know what high-level gameplay is, then you don't belong in this group. Please remove yourself. IR, admin mod, status is granted to those who steadily produce likable content. Likable content is based on how many likes your content gets. Question mark. That's awesome. Yeah, I never joined groups, but I was like, yeah, I like these guys. And then the first post I saw was this character company tier list. So they break up all the Smash characters into the companies they come from. Turns out there's only like eight companies total who have games in Smash. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was surprised. I I would have expected like a longer list, but it's just, it's like a lot of the, it's a lot of the like old school competitors who are no longer a threat to Nintendo and then Microsoft. Bandai, Sega. Microsoft has no business being here, really. Microsoft is doing this weird ass shit where they're just trying to be everybody's buddy. Like, well, they're only really there because of Steve too, right? I guess... Microsoft owns Rare, which is Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, yeah. Which probably opened the door for Steve, really. People yeah. people want a Banjo-Kazooie more than anybody. And I don't know why, but 
apparently people do. Well, there's a lot of crossover with with the Donkey Kong because Diddy Kong Racing, I think, had Banjo and Kazooie in it. Mm. Yeah, and 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 it was like one of the most successful Nintendo 64 games. Yeah, I don't really understand why Rare like owns the Donkey Kong franchise. I don't understand that history. I don't think. Oh yeah, they might actually. I don't know. Do they? Because they because Nintendo was still able to do like Donkey Kong games. Yeah, like I'm at looking at this company list. Rare's not even on the list, so Donkey Kong's there. Um, but Rare's name is on all of the Donkey Kong games, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I think they're like a develop like a developer. I don't know if they were like the owners. Hmm. Like they made they they made the three D Donkey Kong game. Oh, and I, you know what? I think they made all the country games, too. I thought so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So it was like a deep collaboration, maybe, kind of like with Pokemon Company or what's um the Earthbound Company that did Kirby and Smash. What's know. the company that did Smash? Ice, isn't it like ISO or something like that? Well, uh, Sora did. Sora. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know Sora. I, th- I thought someone else did uh, Earthbound. Um, it's, it's an interesting connection. Let me. It's a Japanese name. Yeah. Ape. Ape. Yeah, they got their name so on Earthbound, right? Yeah. Hal. I'm I'm thinking about Hal Laboratory. And I was thinking of Itoi when I was trying to think of the Japanese name. Yeah, yeah. Like the actual the actual designer. All these different people are involved. Um, it's a Hal Laboratory is a second party. That's like the concept I was communicating, a second party developer for Nintendo. Maybe that's like what Rare kind of was, but they pulled out. Branched off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hal Laboratory is most famous for their work on Kirby and Mother, as well as the first two Smash Bros. Okay. I, I got it basically right then. Yeah. Um, what's not explicit here but if you looked deeper you would realize um they're essentially the incubator for the pokemon game boy games as well right interesting which you know makes sense the battling is not too different all the best all the best things Ooh, they're doing like a mini up a mini series about Operation Midnight Climax. That's cool. It's be fun to listen to. What's during that? the fifties, the C- yeah, during the fifties, the CIA ran brothels and ran drugs <laughs> into, into into towns. Like what? Like around the same time that we had the production code, and Elvis Presley got in trouble for shaking his ass too much on TV. Yeah. Like the CIA was running brothels. <laughs> it seems right. Yeah. And uh disseminating crack. That came later. 
the crack came later. I don't know. The, the drug, they were probably doing, my guess would be heroin at this stage. Reality altering things. Like all she did was like, she did the, cast the spell on Ralph. And then she just was doing like trickery, really. Just like flipping switch it, like flipping a switch on already existing magic. That's kind of how I've. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess what I'm complaining about is the way that the Agatha all along trope, like she directly addressed the viewer. She like hijacked the show and made it her own show for the end of that episode. You know, it was like, it was like only for the viewer and it didn't really seem to, it was almost like that didn't actually happen, you know, but, but they they bothered to shoot all those scenes where like Agatha's sitting in the director's chair while they're doing like the modern family shoot. Right. It just really threw me off what they were trying to communicate with that. They all, the, the, that the dysfunction that was happening was being caused by Agatha. That the 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 un the, the the jostling of the comfort that Wanda built up for herself was all done by Agatha. No, I get that. I just I I didn't I didn't really find it appropriate that Agatha like transmitted her own TV show out of the hex. It didn't because that's like. That was she, what she, she was wasn't. She, she, no, she wasn't though. She just was hijacking it. But there was literally like it was. It was like literally a show at the end. I want, I want uh, Agatha after all or whatever. That was like that. That's not. That wasn't a show. That was. That's. That's the song. It was just a song. It wasn't an actual show. But each 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 episode, which represented its own um, decade era show had its own unique jingle right and it actually when i was reading into one of those blogs or whatever they said like the agatha after all jingle had all the other jingles in it or something like the same like there was a a through a thread harmony through all of them or something that all all came back to agatha after all well no the main melody is like there's like a specific wandavision melody medley that plays in all the things but it's not related to agatha yeah do we know when agatha like enters the hex or what drew her to the hex yeah she yeah she yeah she saw one like she like noticed the cosmic readings like the like the un unfathomable amount of cosmic energy that was being produced and she was like what the fuck is causing that and then she mm-hmm. saw what wanda was doing with it and all wanda was doing with it was living in a this 1950s delusion yeah right. so agatha inserted herself into it and started fucking with her and every time she fucked with her to such degree to try to have her reconcile and have her deal with her trauma she just doubled down and like redid everything again which is what caused the decades to spin through Sounds pretty good when you put it that way. Yeah, that's that's what was that's what was happening. <laughs> that's actually what was happening. But 
Agatha wanted Agatha wanted her to shake her out of her delusion because she saw it. She saw it as such a wasted. She said it herself. She's like, I can't believe yeah, yeah, that yeah. all you did with this power was do bed and breakfast. So like her entire motivation was trying to get her out of her delusion so that she could like either convince her to become the Scarlet Witch, like to become the Scarlet Witch, or to drain her of her powers. As far as MCU goes, is this the first time we see Agatha? Yeah. Okay. And she's supposed to be a good guy. They, it's a kind of like a twist that they made her a villain. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be like the mentor to, to Wanda, which she kind of still played that role by teaching her things. But um, as a villain. <laughs> yeah, no, she wasn't creating, she wasn't doing reality altering power. She can't do that. That's why she's so. That's why she wants Wanda's powers so she can have that ability. Like the, that, the that's most, why it throws the, the me most... off so much that we had that whole montage of her revealing to the audience that it the was her all, all along. The all along aspect is just the the the, mis- the mischievousness. It's not the reality altering the part of it. It's just it's just the bad things that were happening were Agatha all along. Like anytime something bad happened, it was Agatha. Anytime like a trick didn't work right, anytime Shimmels got caught by her boss, like by Vision's boss. Yeah. That that's what they're referring to. It's not so much that it that it was her all along that bothers me. It's the fact that they literally did the it was Agatha all along like montage and medley. Like, who made that? Did Wanda make that? Because Wanda was making everything. I just, I can't accept that it was just made as a convenience thing for the viewer, right? I'm trying to reconcile it with the the rest of the show. And for me, it's like Wanda had to have made that, or else Agatha can do reality stuff too. Or they just fucked up. Yeah, I don't know. It It could be a slight like plot hole but yeah she definitely can't do reality reality altering powers the most she can do is like minor conjugation she says it herself when she does the bird thing yeah i don't know that kind of there's little things like that it's really hard to be that consistent when you do such a sweeping thing like there's a huge problem with endgame with the fact that captain america exists like while bucky is getting tortured and becoming the winter soldier so like so he goes back in time to return the stones so that that that's a version of captain america that exists throughout entire the entire like throughout the decades living with peggy carter and he could have saved his friend from like unimaginable uh, brainwashing and torture but he didn't and there's really no way to excuse it except like the writers fucked up I've, and I've, it, I haven't and, seen enough. Yeah, it happens. It's, you know, it's hard to be perfect in every area when you're dealing with such a massive ongoing thing. That's... I'm... Uh, I guess I'm not convinced that it was an accident. But I guess we'll see. No, it probably was. I, I just, sure I don't, I don't feel like we really got a good understanding about 
I mean, we got her backstory, but I don't think we got a good understanding about where she came from. Well, they're going to get more into witches and stuff. Yeah. For, for sure. Like, that's one thing I noticed rewatching. Like, uh, Thor's mom is a witch. Frigg is a witch. And, like, they started tapping into that a bit. Just huh. In Endgame, even, they tap into that a little bit. But, um... Yeah, that's... A, and, and they've only done one Doctor Strange movie so far, so... <laughs> Right. And and that and that first one just barely taps into how crazy the Doctor Strange lore is. Like it gets so fucking insane. And it's and now that they have Fantastic Four canon and they can use Galactus, that would that will make it even more in depth and The Fantastic yeah, the co- Four always struck me as like pretty boring. Am I wrong? Yeah, the, the characters kind of have that facade, but the lore is really like intense and deep. Okay, because it, it it deals a lot with a lot of intergalactic stuff. Like that's where the Silver Surfer comes from. He, like the Silver know. Surfer comes from Fantastic Four. Yeah, he's the he is like the main herald of Galactus. And I like, don't what know the herald- like what his powers are or anything, but I know he's really cool. Yeah, he's a divine god. He's like even more powerful than Thor. He's one of the most powerful beings in the universe. He's basically indestructible. And he's the herald of Galactus, which means he hunts for life-thriving planets for Galactus to feast on so that Galactus won't feast on his planet. Oh. Because you can't kill Galactus. He's an... He's an um, unbeatable creature and I think the, the one time they did kill Galactus they realized that he was a check on an even more sinister and powerful being mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah you can't really prevent him from destroying planets you kind of just have to guide him away from yours All right, that wraps it up for today. Remember, we're recording Get It Out live Sundays on Twitch. Hope you can join us. Bye.